Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Rocky Five, man, that, that movie will make you want to cry to think about all that Rocky had, and he had to move out because of his damn wife's brother. It's Wes. I give that man all the credit in the world for not killing him because I would have took him out in the backyard and beat those ribs up Ooh. like I was about to put them on the grill. And Walker. This is Top of the Dome, by the way, with the ribs grill reference. Incredible stuff. <laughs> Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. That man would have had cracked ribs and all types of crack stuff for signing over my pal Vuitton. Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Hit that text line, folks, 704-570-9610. Hit up those socials. Hit that follow button. There are a lot of them, but for now, I'm just going to give you the most important one, which is at Wesson Walker on Twitter. You can give them the second most important one. The second most important, WFNZ, Twitter, and Instagram. You can give them the third most important one. Okay, then after that. It's, it's, we know what it is. Tell them. <laughs> at Wesson Walker, at Walker Mail at no. West Bryan underscore 72. That's, that's the most important. And at ACB underscore Josh. Hit the follow button on all of them, man. Just hit it, you know, while you're eating your uh, burger, Whopper, whatever you got going, man. Just, uh, you know, do that. Did you ever go uh, experience I did. the National Cheeseburger I Day sure thing? I sure did. When I ran out the house, I had to go run some errands. It was very late. It was after the show, but I was so hungry. <laughs> I went ahead, downloaded that McDonald's app because I thought I had an eye appointment. And it ended up falling through. So, otherwise, I would have stopped after work. But yeah, okay. Long story short, got that fifty cent uh, McDonald's double cheeseburger. Fitty, you had something late you, afternoon. You, did you say that you did experience National Cheeseburger Day or not? No, I was just coming after you because he put it in the group chat, and it was just another example that you don't pay attention to what gets put in the play us against each other in the Dang. text thread because he he told us it was while y'all were having your um. Your weird argument during the Panthers Saints game. It was Derek Carr, uh, yeah. the Derek Carr and conversation. Yeah, and Grandison. And he just like slipped it in. He's like, I also went and got my cheeseburger after the show. Today. Yeah, no doubt. All right, since we I didn't did have not see the cheeseburger comment, <laughs> <laughs> and since we did not have it yesterday, let's get right to it. The campus Kona. All right, man. This is the mother load of college football games this weekend. And when you talk about ACC football this weekend, it doesn't get better than Florida State and Clemson. Clemson definitely going to be looking for redemption after their season opening loss to Duke. The nodes are coming into the town as hot as fish grease right now. Clemson definitely has to be on high alert. So let's start to break this thing down just a little bit. Clemson has won seven straight matchups against the Seminoles. These two programs have accounted for 13 ACC championship game appearances and 11 ACC titles. The Clemson Tigers are looking to score 45 points for a third consecutive game. 
the first time since a six-game streak in 2019. They haven't allowed, they didn't allow a sack in their last football game. Granted, it was against Florida Atlantic. I get it. Cade Klubnick has thrown or been responsible for four touchdowns in two consecutive games. He's looking to make that a third. Home team has won 15 of the last 20 games in this series. Florida State's only win at Clemson since 2001 was in 2013. But the Noles are coming in very strong, as I said. They're looking to extend their win streak to nine games, or they are at a win streak of nine games, longest active streak in the ACC, fourth longest in the country. Their 142 points through three games are the most since 2012. And yeah, if you want to beat the Seminoles, you better start fast. They scored on their opening drive of a half in nine straight halves. In the six half opening drives this season, Florida State has scored four touchdowns, two field goals. They allowed zero tackles for loss, including sacks in their win versus Boston College. And the Florida State defense has faced 21 plays inside their 10-yard line this season and allowed just five touchdowns. This is going to be a monumental matchup. And so when you look at the Clemson Tigers, how much goodwill could this bring back to this program if they are able to knock off the Seminoles? This would do a lot, I think. I think this is the kind of game that you need to win. If you've looked this bad so far against Duke, a respectable opponent, you have a bad first half against Charleston Southern. I was speaking with one Clemson fan earlier today. They're like, yeah, I might give them four good quarters of football, and that's about it. <laughs> a win against Florida State, which, yes, in the second half, they did not keep their foot on the gas against Boston College. It felt like typical, not trap game stuff, but it felt typical, all right, we're not It could have been could have been looking ahead. Yeah, right. I, I agree with that. So I, I hate to do that because we always disrespect the opponent mm-hmm. that actually puts up a fight, but that's just how I feel about Florida State. I think they're too talented. If Clemson pulls this off, even at home, if they beat that Seminoles team that looks so good against a very respected team in LSU, I think it will win a lot of the 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 50 50 guys back and say okay clemson you know they had a bad opener but now i feel like they can really cause some damage yeah and so fantastic you brought that up because i remember going up to durham for the duke game and i caught a couple of clemson fans in the lobby at a hotel and i was asking them how they felt about the game against duke and they were very iffy i hadn't heard clemson fans sound like that in quite some time they were like well yeah, man, uh, I don't know. And so exactly that's the how thing. Exactly sounded, yeah. Is this the game that we've doubted Clemson the most in the recent Dabo era? Because coming into this game on paper, it looks like this could be Florida State all the way full throttle. Yes, I think so. I don't know when I've ever doubted Clemson this much. And when it happens for two straight years where you don't look like the normal Clemson, then you start to have some real doubt set in because you can get over that. Oh, it's all an outlier. It's not the real Clemson. They'll be just fine. You can get over that after one year. But then when you are supposed to be setting the tone, you're supposed to be saying, hey, we're back and we're back in a big way. And you get beat like you did against Duke and you have a couple of mistakes and Kay Klubnik doesn't look great. And the wide receivers talk about lack of separation. I mean, they're just manning them up and they're not doing a great job gaining any type of ground. Then, yeah, there's going to be some real legitimate doubt set in, not only from the Clemson haters, but the Clemson fans, such as you and I talked about. Fiddy, how much are you doubting the Tigers in this matchup or are you doubting the Tigers? I haven't. No, I don't think I am. I think I'm going to pick them to win the game because on the flip side, like if Florida State wins this game, they're, they've arrived, they're back. And I don't know 
if I trust Mike Norvell that much yet. I know he's beaten LSU back-to-back years, but I don't know if they're ready to go into Death Valley. I know it's a nooner. But that place is going to be rocking. I don't know if Florida State's ready to do this just yet. And so when you look at some of the moves that have been made this week in a move that doesn't happen very often, Clemson has added a kicker from basically off the beach to start in this matchup. And so he added a player that is Jonathan White's former walk-on kicker. It's his second stint with the program. He was on the roster from 2019 to 2022 behind the star kicker, B.T. Potter. He never attempted a field goal and was 3-for-3 on PATs this season. And so Dabo said, quote, we went to the bullpen and called him off the beach. He said, we just need a little bit of maturity at kicker, so the Tigers are worried after starter Robert Gunn III missed an extra point and a 31-yard field goal in Saturday's game versus FAU. And I remember Dabo's body language after those kicks were missed, and he was not feeling it and so that's wild to see a college team add a player a few games into the season kicker is the position you can do it i think it was brett bielema i think this is the guy who once was asked so what do you do with your kicker what's your messaging to him now that he's been struggling the past couple of games and brett says what do you mean he's a he's a kicker you leave him the bleep alone and you let him figure it out and if he doesn't figure it out, we get a new one. <laughs> like, that's just how yeah. it is. So they went out and they got a new one. And we'll see if he's going to be the guy that you can depend on in tight situations. If you need a couple of field goals to set yourself up well later on in the game. But, yeah, it is kind of weird to see a player of this importance. It does make sense, though, at this position. And so getting on to the Duke Blue Devils, still watching shows, still seeing things online with people not quite paying Duke the respect that we may feel like they deserve, but this is a conversation. They've got UConn coming up this weekend. They've got a chance to move to 4-0. They destroyed Big Ten foe Northwestern. They've got the Clemson win under their belt that I still feel a lot of people are like, oh, well, Clemson gave them the game and different things of that nature. But give you a couple of superlatives on the Blue Devils. They start fast as well. They're now 17-2 and when they score a touchdown on its opening possession since the start of 2017. They improved to 10 and 0 when scoring first under Mike Elko. He's now 12 and 4 through the first 16 games of his tenure in Durham, making the best 16-game start to a head coaching stint in school history. Duke doesn't necessarily beat themselves, so when Clemson fans try to talk about the turnovers, this is the MO of Duke's football team. They've won the turnover battle 11 times under Mike Elko, 9 and 2. During that stretch, they rushed for five touchdowns in their last matchup, and their defensive unit has posted uh, consecutive contests holding an opponent under 300 yards of total offense. But when you look around the country, especially when you listen to people talk ACC football, still not quite the respect that we may feel like Duke has deserved by beating a team like Clemson in its opening game. So, Walker, do you still think they're being disrespected, and do you think Duke stands a chance for maybe a letdown as they look ahead to Notre Dame, who they will play in two weeks. No and no. I think Duke is not being all that disrespected, and I do think they're going to take care of business against UConn, so I don't think they're in for a letdown. The reason I don't think they're being disrespected is they jumped up three spots in the past rankings. You know who fell a spot, and you know the program the Duke passed. Mm -hmm. It's Colorado. 
who could not be getting any more respect whatsoever, and yet the rankings are coming in and saying that Duke has actually passed Colorado, I guess because of the overtime victory that they had. It was a little too close for comfort for the people voting on this thing. I don't think Duke is being disrespected. I think we gave them a lot after their week one opener against the Clemson Tigers. I don't think they've played massive competition, but they have taken care of business in each of those two games, and they're the 18th ranked team in the country. I have no problem with the way that Duke is ranked right now. They keep on winning, then they'll keep climbing up those rankings, especially, as you mentioned, when they take on Notre Dame in a couple of weeks. Even UConn. I mean, if, if they win by, what, two touchdowns, three touchdowns against UConn, probably will jump up again in the rankings. So I think they're respected at the right amount. Yeah, I think that it's a situation because I heard, especially on certain networks, they were talking about who's the number two team in the ACC. And I heard uh, Miami being thrown out. And I heard, uh, I think, I forgot who the other team they said. But there was just, I just feel like Duke isn't still quite getting the respect that they deserve. Obviously, you have to keep on winning. But I think that this is a team that is for real. Like I said, they do have Notre Dame coming up in two weeks. So the college football slate, when you look at the marquee games in the ACC, and we're going to get to a lot more college football talk later in the show. But the Duke Blue Devils, like I said, they have a great matchup with Notre Dame in a couple of weeks that will be very intriguing, to say the least. But when we come back, we're going to get back to the Carolina Panthers. Going to talk about that coaching staff, that and more on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Trying to make sense of this whole Bryce Young situation, Wes. Mm-hmm. The conspiracy theorists are not going to be calmed down after this one. I'll tell you that. They are rocking and rolling with the conspiracy theories, and it's some of them that you're not going to change their minds no matter what you say. Well, we have a write-up from Joe Person and Larry Holder on The Athletic about an hour ago, and he also retweeted it again eight minutes ago. So you can go check it out. His Twitter handle is at Joseph Person. First line. Carolina Panthers quarterback Bryce Young will miss his second consecutive practice Thursday with a knee injury, a team spokesman said. Here's what you need to know. Talked about how Andy Dalton would be the likely starter. And Andy Dalton signed with the Panthers in free agency. A bunch of stuff that really is less important once you get past, oh wait, knee injury? Thought it was an ankle injury. Yeah. So, Wes, I think all we can do right now is wait for the injury report 
and wait for Frank Reich and whoever to speak to the media and let us know what really is going on. And hopefully we have more. I know blank. And I don't know about high ankle sprain. I don't know what play got hurt on. We do know that he was injured. Thomas Brown did say this a little bit earlier today as well when he spoke to media that he got hurt yesterday or excuse me, got hurt Monday night, played through the injury, told the staff, training staff and coaching staff that he was had had something going on after the game. And that's what happened. So that's all the information we have right now. Are we going to get to a point where the NFL goes to the NHL uh, injury report where they just do upper and lower body just so we avoid all the confusion? Speculation and yeah, all you that. Know, the yeah, speculation and, and I guess more like the gamesmanship. That's what I think a lot of this is from Frank Reich. He doesn't want to tip his hand on a short week with, with what's wrong with his quarterback. I think at some point we'll just have upper and lower body injuries. Well, I, I think gambling might deter you from doing that. Mm. These people put money on games. They want to know what's going on. Which is why the league should never gotten in bed with gambling. But yeah. that's a different topic. Moral fitty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, when I judge my moral compass, I usually put it towards fitty. To say, well, what would fitty do? <laughs> I actually wear a bracelet. WWFD. What would fitty do? And then if I wouldn't, if he wouldn't do it, then I wouldn't either. And vice versa. That's how I live my life. Panthers OC Thomas Brown did say Bryce Young got hurt at some point in the first half. We talked about it. Oh, in the first half is what they said. So a little bit more specific there as far as time frame. First half played through it. Coaches learned of the injury after the game. Brown said he never questioned Young's toughness, mental or physical when asked if he would be comfortable starting a rookie QB who had not taken reps all week. Thomas Brown gave us a banger, and he said, yeah, that rookie. It's a good it's a good answer. <laughs> I like that. I, maybe I'm making too much of it, but allow me to do so, please. Hey, enjoy it, man. That rookie, yes, even if he had been playing well the first two games, the entire offense hasn't. And so there's the man, right, Thomas Brown. Wes, a lot of people want him to call plays for this Carolina Panthers team. After it did not go well offensively the first two weeks, you and I both agree that I don't know how much – things would be different if Thomas Brown was calling plays for this squad. But you've questioned why Thomas Brown isn't the play caller going into the season. I know you don't think it's time to change right now, but do you think we end up seeing Thomas Brown maybe this season or next season calling plays? And it does seem like Frank Reich has played with that idea. Hey, at some point I'll hand over the reins, but right now going into week three, I'm still going to be the guy as the play caller. Yeah, I think when you look back at this situation, you wonder what was talked about. Was this something that they had a handshake agreement on when he signed the deal? Because we talked about during the offseason with the whole Steve Wilkes thing and the plight of the African-American coach and the numbers and how small they are, especially at some of the key positions. And kudos for him bringing Thomas Brown in. But when you look at some of his uh, comments and from Sports Illustrated when Coach Reich was talking about this and he was talking about he loves the way they call plays and how collaborative it is and he said you know it's think it, he thinks it's best for now that he's calling the plays and how confident he is and so he's like Thomas is a great coach one day I want him to call it when that will be I don't know and so I'm just like why is he here then like why does he have the title of offensive coordinator it's like if you want to bring him in then let him call the plays and you guys can collaborate and go through the plays that you like and what you don't and then let him be the play caller but my thing is just for african-american coaches it always seems like there's some type of caveat and uh you know he's got to wait and see like the josh mcdaniels and the, the young uh 
white offensive coordinators that are looked at as boy geniuses don't have to wait. They don't have to be collaborative. They don't have to sit behind a head coach until he feels like it's okay for them to start calling the plays. And so that's my thing. I feel like is this a, a situation where obviously he's in the NFL calling plays, but it seems like sometimes the African-American coaches, they have to settle for what they can get. And I'm just wondering, you know, is he wasting his time to an extent because he's like, you know, one day I'll let him call it. Like, come on, man. Like, he's a grown man. He's been coaching with Sean McVay, the, the genius of the league. And so I'm like, it, and I don't think that he should give up the play calling. But if that's the case, I'm just like, Frank Reich should be the head coach in OC because I just don't like the fact that Thomas Brown has to sit around and wait until it's his time when Frank Reich decides that he can call the plays. And so it's just a question that I brought up because just off of those comments, you know, it's like one day he'll be able to call plays. Like, come on, man. Like, I, I just feel like Thomas Brown could have been better served elsewhere where he could be the sole offensive coordinator. Uh, but did anybody hire him? I guess is my question. It seems like you have a real problem with the title of OC. You, yeah, I you don't brought like up that. The, well, I, I just think when we talk about offensive coordinator, that's going to mean different things. And I understand that we think of offensive coordinator, play caller, and those two things are always 100% true. But it's not, especially with offensive-minded coaches that go into the league. And we've seen this quite a bit. When you have play callers that are also the head coach, you still have an offensive coordinator, a part of your staff. I mean, that that's happened. I mean, hell, it happens all the time, right? And when you want a head coach, especially when you hire a guy because of their offensive acumen, you're hiring them because of the success that they might have had as a play caller in the past. And you don't want them to hand over play calling duties at that point. And so if Thomas Brown comes in at 37 years old, and is the OC who is collaborating on this and then is continuing to learn before he's the OC, that makes sense. For me, I'm totally with you that it's pretty easy to see that it is harder for African-Americans to become an offensive-minded head coach. Defensively, it's there's a little bit more of an open door, but African-Americans don't get the benefit of the doubt. Man, think about Thomas Brown being handed this opportunity two weeks afterwards, right? To me, now's not the time because especially if you want to pick the right moment, especially Wes, when we know about African-Americans also, not you got to capitalize on that opportunity. Right. And if you don't with a rookie QB with a bad offensive line with wide receivers that, don't we, tr that we don't trust, is now the time? I don't think that's doing Thomas Brown any favors. Yeah. Now, of course, Thomas Brown wants to take that on because who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to take on that offensive coordinator job? Mm -hmm. You always think you're ready to take that step up. But is now the time for you to pull the trigger and say, okay, this is it. Thomas Brown, go in there. And then what are we going to do after three games if the offense doesn't score over 20 points on sure. average? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, that, that's why I don't think this is the time to deploy it. I think there are a lot more reasons to be questioning why Eric Bieniemy isn't getting a job. Mm -hmm. I know that there have been problems off the field. But also, that's never made sense to me because, okay, well, he's had problems off the field. We can give him an offensive coordinator job, but we can't give him a head coaching job. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So there are those moments, and I totally get that. At the same time, now, for me, is not the time to say, Thomas Brown, you're the play caller. Because if it goes badly after yeah. three games, uh -huh. then who else do you go to? Yeah, and I'm not saying that I think that he should hand over the reins to him. Just the comments alone of how it's collaborative, and then one day I'll let him call it. I'm like, to me, when he came in, when he signed on, 
he should have been the offensive coordinator. And then you collaborate with Reich, but Thomas Brown called the plays. And so Brian on the text line said Joe Brady is an example. He was young, barely out of doggone daycare. And then he comes in and he has an offense with, with, with Joe Burrow and all these NFL receivers. And all they're doing is finding matchups and exploiting it. And he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And we saw how that went. He didn't have to wait. He didn't have to be collaborative and then wait his turn. And so the 704 number says, did someone force Brown to sign? I think he knew what he was signing up for. He wanted to coach Bryce. That's why he signed. No, you're missing my point here. I'm just saying that he may have been in a position where he said, I may not get an opportunity even remotely like this because we know how black coaches are treated in the league. And so he was probably like, man, I got to take this opportunity and see what comes of it instead of getting the red carpet rolled out for you like a guy like Joe Brady is all I'm saying. I just feel like I don't like how Thomas Brown is being done here. I wish that he would be somewhere where he's the offensive coordinator and able to call the plays on his own. No, and I hear you on that. I think for me, the way that I would put a bow on it is there is no doubt that Joe Brady, despite me being excited for him as well, Joe Brady got the benefit of the doubt and also was coming wrapped in privilege, no doubt about that. With Thomas Brown, I don't think right now is the time, especially when he wasn't coming from a play-calling experience anyway, but we do see OCs who aren't even the play-callers get head coaching jobs because they're offensive acumen and how much they impress during interviews. Yeah. Mike McDaniel is the answer to go with there. Shane Steichen also. Mike McDaniel, an African-American coach down there with Miami. So I do think that is something where Thomas Brown hopefully will have that opportunity. You're right to be skeptical though because we've seen the door slam in faces like that a time and time again and hopefully that doesn't happen for yeah, Thomas last Brown. last thing, all the guys that don't want to hear want to change the station, change the station. Alright, 704-570-9610. <laughs> you can tell us how you're not listening on 704-570-9610. We'll also go to the Body Works Plus guest hotline and welcome Seattle Seahawks play-by-play announcer Steve Rabel to the program. Steve, we appreciate the time. How are you? I'm great. Hey, don't change the channel yet, folks. Wait till I'm done. Then you can turn. <laughs> Look, we got Steve Rabel on. Yo, yo, come back. Come back. Steve's yeah. going to be talking about this game. I uh, can't wait for it because I want to see, hopefully Bryce Young plays. We're dealing with this over here in Charlotte, Steve, where now Bryce Young has the injury. <laughs> Now there's conflicting reports about it might be a knee injury. I don't know. I would love to see Bryce Young suit up. We do know that you have a very different situation at quarterback. Here we are trying to launch the career of Bryce Young. Seattle seemed to resurrect one in Geno Smith last year, and then in the second week, he was balling again. How crazy has it been for you, Steve, to see the development of Geno Smith after Russell Wilson? After you trade for Drew Locke, now here's Geno Smith balling for uh, last year, and then even in the second week we see it again. Yeah, you know, being around it virtually every day, at least during the season, it really wasn't that big a surprise, to be honest with you, because Geno is just Geno. I mean, he's been the same way since the day he walked in and uh, and said, okay, I'm fine with being a backup to Russell, but I'm going to work hard like I'm going to be the starter and I'm going to be prepared every week as if I was going to start. And we all know, we've been around football long enough to know that your really good backup guys are that kind of person. They're, they're the kinds of people who are going to support the team, are going to do what you need them to do, are going to help the starter in any way they can. When he got his chance, he was absolutely and totally prepared. And he surprised maybe some people on the outside. He certainly doesn't surprise um, Pete Carroll and the coaching staff because they – they watched how Gino got ready every single time. And remember, too, we had a, a few games here a couple of seasons back when Russell had the finger surgery and missed three games and 
And Gino came in and had a, a couple of little issues and then also played really well at times. So you could see that he still had the gun. He still had the arm to make it happen. And now he's so fully invested in this offense and the guys around him. Uh, he just he expects to be successful every time he goes on the field. Steve, what happened so poorly against the Rams that changed itself so much to the point where you actually got a win on the road against Detroit, a team that previously got a win against Kansas City? It, it, it's so hard to understand, but um, again, you guys have been around this game long enough to know that that uh, on any given Sunday, and on any given Sunday, not only can somebody beat you, but you can really play lousy for whatever reason. And I think I don't think we took the Rams lightly, although everybody was saying, yeah, you know, the Rams are going to be in a rebuilding mode down at the bottom of the division, and it's us in San Francisco. And the Rams came in here with a couple of things. They came in with Matthew Stafford, who we did not face at all last year when we beat him twice. He was injured. And so he came back and threw the ball just as he has his entire career, and he just kind of carved us up. Um, We did some things poorly on defense that we needed to fix, and I think we fixed them to some extent against the Lions, and that is getting some pressure, getting a little stickier uh, in coverage. Uh, We still aren't running the ball well. We need to do that better. But you see Geno is is throwing the ball, and our guys outside are making big plays for him. So, you know, it was one of those things. The guys were, I think, prepared, but there was a lot of young guys. There are a lot of young guys on this team, and they – I don't think they responded very well when we started to get behind in the second half against L.A. Steve, when you look at this Seattle offensive line, they've allowed only three sacks on the season. That's tied for eighth in all of the NFL. And you look at Carolina, they're currently tied for third in the league in sacks. How confident is this Seattle team that their offensive line can negate this Carolina pass rush? It's going to be difficult. It's the very first thing Pete did his Wednesday press conference yesterday, it literally was the first thing that he talked about, about how sturdy, how tough you guys are up front on both sides of the football. And he talked about the pass rush ability of this defensive front uh, for the Panthers. And and it is going to be a test for us up front. I, I have been somewhat pleasantly surprised, certainly against the Lions, because we played two backup tackles. Both our guys got hurt in the second half, our starters, uh, against the Rams. So we play backup tackles. We kind of help them a little bit. You know, you have a tight end here. You have a running back chip there. Gino gets the ball out of his hand quickly, um, and that helped those tackles. But they really did a, a really superb job against a, another good defensive front. Aiden Hutchinson, you know, is, is one of the top young pass rushers in the game right now. But it's going to be a hell of a test this weekend. I have no doubt about it. Those two tackles are going to start again, and we'll just have to depend on what we do, and that is, First of all, again, we've got to get back to running the football better, uh, and then that opens up things for Geno in the passing game. That leads me to my next question. You look at Carolina, they are giving up 4.5 yards per carry on the season, and Kenneth Walker is a guy that a lot of people look at it as one of the next big stars in the league at that position, only 107 yards so far this season. Is this the game that Seattle fans and the coaches feel like that he could uncork and go for one of those big games he's capable of? I sure hope so. Uh, he is he is so exciting. The, the couple of things that he did against uh, against the Lions that I know the coaching staff has talked to him about, but there are times when he so believes in his own ability to get out of trouble that you know you'll start running downhill to the right side. There's nothing much there, so he'll try to turn it around and come back all the way to the far side of the field. 
sometimes that works, and he is so swift and so quick and explosive that sometimes that works. But then sometimes you get trapped behind the line of scrimmage, you're going to lose five or six yards. That makes it tough on the play caller to come up with a third down and 13 or whatever uh, you're looking to, to convert. But he is so talented, and with his speed, his agility, uh, he ran for over 1,000 yards last year. He wasn't even supposed to be the starter. In fact, in, at the start of training camp, he was the number three running back. But because of injury, he ended up starting and, and playing last year, uh, nine touchdowns. So I think that this might be one of those games. And I think, too, uh, it's, it's a, the kind of game that Pete wants to play. He wants to give Ken Walker and Zach Charbonnet, our rookie out of UCLA, chances to run the football because it keeps us on schedule. It keeps us in line with the chains, and that's what he wants to do. And then throw when you want to throw, not when the defense demands it. All right, Steve, last thing before we get you out of here. You brought up a couple of injuries. I'm looking at the injury report. It's pretty lengthy for Seattle. We're dealing with some injuries on our side as well. What's an injury that you're most worried about replacing or dealing with, whether it be a guy that could be out there but not 100% effective or just be out entirely? Wow, that's a good question. Um, well, Jaron Reed is on our uh, injury report, but he's also tougher than Boyle Al. So I think he's probably <laughs> going to play. Uh, at least I expect him to. Um, our tight end is also on the list, Will Disley. He has been so good. He is, he is an underrated receiver. He is a terrific blocker. Uh, in fact, we went out and signed a, a tight end off the Philadelphia practice squad just to sort of fill out the roster a little bit if Will can't play. Uh, that gives me an indication that he might not be available this week. That one makes me a little nervous. And then again, you know, our two tackles, Charles Cross might be ready to play this week. Abe Lucas is on IR now, so he's out for another three games. So those are guys that I'm, I'm kind of concerned about. But, you know, hey, injuries are a part of this. I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I want to see Andy Dalton start at quarterback for you guys because all he's done is be successful against us over his long career. So we'll wait and see, I guess, who's going to start a quarterback for you on Sunday. All right, we'll see if Andy is the magic potion to help this Carolina Panthers offense. We'll see if Bryce Young is able to get back on track, be healthy enough to start against Seattle. That is the voice of Steve Rabel, Seahawks play-by-play announcer on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Steve, we appreciate it, and we appreciate you allowing these listeners to stay aboard with us. Guys, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Good stuff from Steve Rabel. Long injury report. Maybe we can talk about the impact of that a little bit later on in the show because both teams are coming in banged up. Hopefully guys will be healthier enough to play so we can see both of these teams go full 100% against one another. Speaking of full 100%, Wes is about to bring just that with fire or fizzle, the swaggiest college football head coaches. Yeah, man. Didn't expect this topic, but I'm with it. <laughs> it's coming up next. Watson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. football coaches from the swaggiest show. I just made it up. The Minister of Culture. I love that nickname. I forgot where it came from. Uh, oh, we were talking about something. I think it was in a fire fizzle and I said a Minister of Culture of some country because it was. we were talking about Elon Musk and Zuckerberg fighting in the oh, in Rome. I think that's And they were right. saying the Minister of Culture had to be consulted. We were talking about how dope of a uh, title that was. All right, so let's, let's kick it to that guy right now, the Minister of Culture, Wes <laughs> Bryant, swaggiest college football head coaches. Now, the first name, it's hilarious, especially given the category. Ed O. Yes. Ed Orgeron. <laughs> Wes, I'm going to kick it to you. Is it fire or fizzle? <laughs> Go. Well, you know, I outsourced the crew for what today's topic should be, and we started talking about head coaches and swag, and I said, yes, swaggiest head coaches since Dion is the talk of college football. There are a lot of different things that can encompass swag, and one of the major things is the way you carry yourself. And Ed Orgeron, his voice alone, he doesn't hide from it. He embraces it. People love the guy. My mom loves the guy. His overall aura, how he gets down. Now, he might not have been the greatest head coach, 67 and 47 in his career. He won the 2019 AP College Football Coach of the Year Award, though, and the Home Depot Coach of the Year Award. So when you talk about Ed Orgeron, the voice, the aura, how he can make you laugh reading a grocery list with that gravelly voice of his, he is straight. Fire, big N-O. I love that he's got all that swag. <laughs> Ed Orderon. Yeah. All right, number one. I don't know if I can do this impression, so I'm just not going to. Mac yeah. Brown. Hmm. Certainly with the kicks. You see the Jordans. He sports them. Mm-hmm. I see Fitty taking a big old breath, getting ready for the verdict. <laughs> you tell me, Wes. Mac Brown, I believe you've called your boy. Fire or fizzle. Mac Brown, let's talk about the coaching quickly. Bear Bryant, National Coach of the Year in 2008. Bobby Dodd, National Coach of the Year as well. 2009, Big 12 Coach of the Year. But at Carolina, he's had three 10-win seasons. Six consecutive uh, bowl games that he had there. Top five finish, a top 10 finish, and two top 20 finishes for one Mac Brown. But this is about swag. You talk about the shoes when the man came in my room for the ACC Digital Network. I know you got swag when I have to compare shoes with you. You see the pictures. He's got every Jordan under the sun and knows how to wear them and knows how to swag them out. He's not looking like a goof troop with the Jordans on. <laughs> then the post-locker room dancing. Okay, he gets busy and boogies with the squad. And then the vernacular. Listen, Mac Brown has the talk game. You meet the man. He gives you the feeling that you've known him for years. So when you talk about Mac, the Jordans, he can coach on the field, the dancing. Listen, Mac Brown might be the coach of the Tar Heels, but he is straight. Fire! 
biased. USC fans, I don't want to hear any more slander about me being biased. Uh, yes, by the way, Joey from Huntersville asking, was that Edo or Billy Bob Thornton from Sling Blade? I heard a lot of Sling Blade in that, too. Mm, I like mustard biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely Billy Bob Thornton. Let's move on. Number three, Jim Harbaugh, Fire Fizzle. Wes Bryant, you tell me. Jim Harbaugh on the field, guided the Wolverines to a 61-24 record. He's won 43 Big Ten games, led UM to four 10-win seasons, six bowl games, and a 2021 college football playoff semifinal. Also had the Wolverines right in the mix last year. Okay. And you talk about the swag on the field, the khakis that he has made more famous than anyone I can remember, the glasses, how he wears the whistle on the neck, the quirky personality. Jim Harbaugh, he wins on the field, but when it comes to the swagger, it is straight. Fizzle, I, I can't get down with it. You know what I'm saying? The khakis are cool and all that, but yeah. I feel like the swag is in a different way than the outfit. He's got his own swag, though. That's the thing. That's how he made the list in the first place. He's got his own swag, and I do respect that, but just the swag that it is, Okay, all right. You you mentioned how it encompasses different things. We got all sorts of different coaches up here. Uh-huh. Ed Orgeron, Mac Brown, Jim Harbaugh. Next one is Bear Bryant. Mr. Bear Bryant. Oh, and a lot of Alabama football fans might refer to him as God himself. <laughs> you tell me, fire fizzle, what is Bear Bryant? On the field, six national championships, 24 bowl games, 13 conference titles, three. Not one, not two, but three undefeated seasons. But we're talking about swag now, aren't we, Wes? Yes, we are. Did I just answer my own question? Yes, I did. Okay. But that houndstooth cap that was so signature for this man on the sideline with the suit, shirt and tie, he might give you a red blazer. He might give you uh, whatever type of blazer you want. But when you're talking houndstooth, when you see anybody wearing houndstooth, the first thing I think of, is it because I'm a sports junkie? Maybe it may be. But the first thing I think of when I see anybody Wearing houndstooth is the great Bear Bryant. Matter of fact, Vashti just put on her social media that she had on a houndstooth suit and how many people was loving it. And if I saw it, the first thing I would think of is Bear Bryant. So when you talk about the man that people in Alabama consider God himself, Bear Bryant, the houndstooth, he signifies that pattern all to himself is straight fire. The man made a pattern his own. The hat oozes swag. I'm not sure he knows what that word means, and yet he oozes it with more, uh, I would say, emphasis than anybody out there, man. Like, he just oozes it. So, yeah, Bear Bryant 100% is on that list, too. Last one. You already know his name is going to show up on the list. Wes saved him for last. Dion Primetime Sanders. Did he bring a lot of swag to Colorado? Yes, he did. That's because the bar was low. Wes, you tell me, is it enough to be considered fire in fire fizzle? Did you ever think that you would see a head coach on the sidelines, multiple chains on? Did you ever think you would see a head coach rocking the hoodie with the hood up with his own slogans? Did you ever think that you would see a head coach with gold shaded glasses on? You can see your reflection in them. We know what this man has represented all his life. The curl, the Jerry curl, that looked wet, but it was dry, according <laughs> to Deion Sanders. 
the sneakers that he has brought back from the Dallas years, the diamond turfs that are unbelievable, Shador wears them. This man alone signifies, personifies the word swagger. Where the hell you think this is going when I talk about Dion? How many head coaches in college football have their own theme music that they play in the locker room after they finish their speech? And oh yeah, Colorado's undefeated, winning games that a lot of people didn't think they would and are going to win a lot more after coming into the season with a three-game over and under, three and a half to be exact. So when you talk about Deion Sanders, the chains, the shades, the kicks, everything about this man is swag. His middle name should be swag, and it is straight fire prime time don't you ever forget cut the music off what about fitty straight fire okay there we go let's end on a good one fitty gonna rock his stuff that's part of having swag fitty's gonna wear the outfits that he wants to wear and doesn't give a damn what you gotta say about it he's gonna rep his mets he's gonna rep his cowboys and he's gonna rep the tar heels and i can respect that because part of swag is wearing what you want no matter what anybody has to say about it all right west going acapella with Fitty's fire declaration. We move on. One more hour to go. It's the Live Wire coming up next. Mr. Swag himself, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.